Carrie Miller. You're listening to my Friday show about reading, big books, and bold ideas. I'll bet if I asked you for an indelible sentence in a much-admired book, one would quickly come to mind. Maybe it's, I celebrate myself and sing myself, Walt Whitman in Leaves of Grass. I'm an invisible man, Ralph Ellison in Invisible Man. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Jane Austen in Pride and Prejudice. Ships at a distance have every man's wish on board. Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God. In Louise Erdrich's new novel, a bookseller with a fervent love of reading reads a page in a book that a ghost has been reading, and she discovers that one of the sentences on that page is so dangerous that she suspects it changes according to the reader's ability to decipher it. I didn't want to find out if my terrifying idea had any merit, she thinks. I just wanted to destroy the book. This is a novel that swirls in a kaleidoscope of ghosts and grief, joy and intimacy, all propelled by the powerful necessity of books. Louise Erdrich's last novel, The Night Watchman, won the Pulitzer Prize. Her new novel is titled The Sentence, and she joins us from Minneapolis. Louise, welcome back. It's good to talk to you again. How nice to hear welcome back. Thank you, Carrie. It's love. It, I, I'm so happy to be here. Are there sentences in books that you love that, I don't know, somehow contain like the whole genetic code of the book? Oh, what a great question. Uh, yes. One of the sentences, our um, hero, Tucky, speaks out at the end of the book, and it's from Swan's Way. Hmm. And it's a very beautiful sentence about rain. And it's echoed within the book as well by the sound of the, the drum. It's interesting how if you're reading, maybe it's a novel that you know, you're familiar with as a, as a reader, and you know that sentence when you see it, when you read it, isn't it? I mean, isn't it? Do, do, I mean, you you must have them too. Sentences yeah. that stop you and make you close the book, perhaps, and and rethink something about your life. Here's what I wonder about those sentences, though. If they stop me in my tracks, am I then outside the experience of the story? Am I marveling at the beauty of the language or the incisiveness of the observation? Is that what a reader wants? <laughs> what do you think? I, you know, I, I like that moment because it speaks to me of how strongly I am connecting with the book that I'm bringing everyone brings the entirety of one's experience to bear while immersed in a book engrossed in a book and that's what a good book does it brings you in with whoever and whatever you are there are times when sentences make me uncomfortable and in fact there's something that Tookie said after the book, to me, after the book was written, <laughs> I was still thinking about her. And she said, I do so enjoy it when a book gives me a lingering 
unpleasant feeling. <laughs> and I do actually enjoy that. Um, the Days of Abandonment, Elena Ferrante's book, for days I had this sort of, oh, this, this, and, and um, oh, the last three sentences in a story by Lauren Groff, which is in this short story collection edited by John Freeman. Mm-hmm. They made me, they made my skin creep with fear. <laughs> they really did. And that's how the story ended? Yes. Oh. I, yes. I, I wish I had it here because I'm, uh, and there's also another one in that book by Stephen King that actually, that scared me. Uh, and I've, I don't really get scared reading books because I know all of the artifice that goes into it as a writer. However, I was afraid at, with both of these. So here's the here's the sentence in your novel in which Tookie appears, we should say. She's the she's the bookseller. Right. Uh, and and we'll learn a lot more about her here in a minute, but the sentence in your novel for me that I've thought about a lot since I read it is it appear mm. it appears on page two and it kept pulling me back no matter how deep I was into the novel and it is you can probably guess yes books contain everything worth knowing except what ultimately matters yes and what does that mean I wish I totally understood why I wrote that because I thought I would take it out for a long time, but then I repeated it later, you know, when I, with the book lists or something, I think it is because one can read thoroughly about an experience, but one's physicality in an experience cannot totally be replicated replicated Mm -hmm. while reading and i thought that about about tookie because she'd been reading certainly before her incarceration but it couldn't tell her everything about that nor could it tell her everything about being haunted we can read a lot about being haunted but truly being haunted is a very dicey experience. You said that with so much knowledge, self-knowledge. I did, and I may have been living through Tookie a little too <laughs> too deeply. I don't know. <laughs> this ghost became very real for me. <laughs> All right, let's explain this. Um, Tookie works in a bookstore that is very much like Birchbark Books, although Birchbark doesn't appear in the novel. I have this right no. so far, right? Right. It doesn't, but, you know. But it is. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, so why? Of I just, Of course, I'm curious about why we can't just say it's Birchbark, but it isn't. But it is. I'm trying to save my staff <laughs> from being too closely associated. So anyone who's listening, please don't ask, which character are you? Oh, got it. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Okay. So um, it's this wonderful bookstore in Minneapolis. Tookie is one of the booksellers. And there is a customer who has, who, who I guess the staff feels a bit 
ambivalent about? Is that fair to say of Flora? How would you describe her? I would say ambivalent because this is a person who has, um, so she is Tucky's favorite, but also most annoying <laughs> customer. So there, there's this ambivalence for certain about, about Flora. And Flora dies. Yes. But, but she, she will, yeah. She doesn't leave the bookstore. No, no. You just said... She keeps coming in. <laughs> you just said, maybe I've been living with Tookie and this ghost for too long. So what was the experience of this? I, I, I suppose I drew on this experience of always walking in at night after everything's closed down, after it's dark, after the only thing you... After walking through the bookstore in the dark when the only light is some reflections coming through the front window and then uh, reaching into the office for the for the light switch <laughs> and now I I can't do it because it always occurred to me as I did that I guess this is normal maybe or it's a writer's thing I don't know but I thought what if there was another hand on the light switch. <laughs> so I, it's in the book and now I, I, I really, I really cannot do this. I have to, I have to go and do it at some point without a flashlight because I have to know that there really isn't a hand there. So uh, I, I, I've, the book got it got to me somewhat too. <laughs> okay, so before you wrote the novel, you could walk into your darkened bookstore and kind of feel your way along until you yeah. found the light switch. Now a yeah. flashlight is necessary equipment. Is that it? I could do it. I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, I, but I could. I can. I can do it. And it would be the perfect, you know, it would be the perfect thing for someone to be waiting there and hit the light oh. switch, hit my hand. <laughs> but please, this would be, um, uh, yeah. I, and so to go back, I tried very, very assiduously not to copy anyone who is working at the bookstore. So if there's anything in this, one person kind of wanted some details in the character, but it's such a th thorough disguise. I don't think that there's anything. I, I feel like it's, um, there's really nothing to connect with within the staff. Okay, so th this is interesting because I have to, tell you that one of the real personal delights for me in the novel is I know you're a private person, but you've put yourself in this novel a bit at a distance. I mean, you show up as the bookstore owner with the DWW, Disturbed While Writing Look on Your Face, when the staff, <laughs> I love that. Oh, I forgot that. <laughs> And the bookstore owner uh, is skeptical about the long-term future of her business. So, I mean, it, it was wonderful to have you write more of, I guess, your own life and your experience into this novel. Um, 
How do you see it? Well, I, I tried to be judicious about anything that I put in. Uh, but there were moments that had to go into the bookstore, had to, had to go into the book. Um, and, and I, I have been, uh, worried at times. Right now, no, we're, we're not worried. Our, our main concern is that our space is too little. And that's the first. Wow. That is, yeah, great. no, I, it's been, it's, oh. yeah, it is. So we're, we're fine. We're fine. Uh, and yes, there have been times when I walked away thinking, please let something come through because we're in, I, I, we're in deep trouble, but we always squeaked by. And that to me is really extraordinary given the history since 2001 of where bookstores have been, independent bookstores and um, brick and mortar stores, and where we are now, we're seeing a real uptick in. I mean, we're like I said in the book, we're feeling some love, and that's been great. Mm-hmm. Is it there's there's an element in the novel where uh, bookstores are declared essential during the pandemic, and then are recipients of independent bookstores, recipients of some funding. Did that really happen? It did. And I was watching very closely because Nancy Pelosi, thank you for getting the paycheck protection loans through. I mean, we depend as the last book, the night watchman laid out very clearly. We have a very, um, we have a, we depend on our government to see our difficulties somehow and to and to get us through. So I didn't think we would be able to stay. I didn't there this part was really true where Louise keeps sending out these we're going to make it sort of <laughs> Louise in the all, novel. Yes. <laughs> Louise in the novel sends <laughs> out these emails to to Birchmark staff and I, I knew at the time that um, I had to be I had to be optimistic about this, but truly, I didn't see a way out. Uh, and even though we were deemed essential services, we couldn't physically open the store, of course, mm-hmm. and we didn't have a large online presence at the time. So I didn't think we would be able to come up with the level of business we needed to keep the store going. But these loans, which then became grants, if you could keep your staff employed, worked for us. So again, there you go. Fantastic news. And now now you may need to expand. Is that what you're saying? Right. Oh, wow. Uh, Have you admitted... Maybe this isn't for the first time. Maybe it is that you live with a ghost in your house the way that the character Tookie lives with a ghost in the bookstore. Have you ever talked about that? I think I have, but I think I've. Well, it's interesting that you say admitted. Is it? <laughs> is there something it's questionable? Questionable about this? It's a shameful secret. <laughs> no, I just. 
when I read that, I thought, what? I, in all the times I've talked to her, this has never come up. What's the story? I can't talk about it. What? No. No, I really can't because (laughs) I don't want this. I don't want this to desert me. It's like talking about a book you've only thought about. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I don't want it. I, I promised someone else in the beginning of this whole interview process, I would not talk about it because I really do not want to look too closely at that. But yes, yes, we have we seem to have a ghost. Other people have confirmed that they have had these experiences. Who have been in the house. And not known anything about any sort of haunting at all. So I've never been haunted. What is the nature of a haunting? How do you how do you slowly become aware of the presence of something else. Carrie, are you really never haunted? <laughs> no. I don't oh. think I I don't think I've ever stayed anywhere, been anywhere where there where I'm aware that there is some other, you know, living presence there in whatever dimension that is. Maybe this is something I can think about as a writer because I would imagine I'm not alone in the writer writering world, <laughs> the writer world, in being, uh, in hearing unbidden voices, not not actually out there talking to me. Although I've had those sort of experiences where I I'm pretty sure I heard something, somebody. It's always some other noise, I'm sure. But being um, almost um, intellectually assaulted by ideas and by characters and things you may not, I may not really want to ever write about, mm-hmm. but that, that are, are, are sort of overbearing. They do some kind of override <laughs> in my brain. And I end up writing about them. For instance, the first sentence in the book, in, while in prison I received a dictionary, was not something that I intended to write about at all. I didn't want to, I, I certainly didn't want to open that door. That's a very difficult door to open, right? There's a lot in that oh, sentence. But then I wrote the first sentence, um, and it, the f- entire first chapter, unspooled. It just came like a story that was being told to me. And so I, you know, and so then you can't reject it because it becomes a very complex gift that you will have to unwrap doing a lot of experiential research and doing a lot of research and, and really bringing this into your life. Um, Honestly, the book started at the second chapter for a very long time, but then this came. And so I I think this may be something that goes along with uh, one's training and, and and you, you train, your brain becomes trained as a writer. I'm, at a point where 
I, uh, I, I hear things in my thoughts and I write them down wherever I am. And I think that that happens early on in a different way where you don't really realize that some of this is, is, is something to be written down. But now I, I get that. Now I see why you don't want to dis- you don't want to talk about this or disrupt it. It's it's, um, it's <laughs> yes. as you said it's a complex gift this haunting. It is. It's not always uh it's not always good for you. It's not always a um uh, it's it's not always a joyous spirit. And I felt that in many books that it was some it, that I'm reading something that perhaps the writer was um, not expecting to find out and not not prepared for. But the thing is is not to push it out as well is to accept that this is. This is your sentence. You are in the book, and you're not allowed out for a certain amount of time. You know, I remember um, the writer Edna O'Brien talking ah. about this in some in. You know, she's Irish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did oh, a, yes. She's a, she's magnificent. But she talk about sentences. There's oh. one at the last. Her again, it's often the, the final sentence of the story. Um, Saints and strangers. It's in Saints and Strangers, and she says she cannot talk about this connection she's feeling with. I think it's her cousin, and with the earth, and with this burial spot in Ireland, because to to she doesn't want to name the feelings because they would lose their power and and so she doesn't really name them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's a tremendous writer. She described what you, what you've described this the spirit in the writing room or in the space she reserves for this much the same way you did. If I talk about it too much, I might it might vanish. You know, I might not oh, be able yeah. to. Don't you, don't you, you, in your interviewing life, don't you hear this often from writers? I, I really don't know if I should talk about this book I'm thinking about or this next book. Yes, I don't ask usually. Oh, real About the yeah. next book? No. Right. Oh, no. Right. Oh, uh, well, I, I salute you. Maybe I should. No, um, writers... No do not often don't want to be asked that. And I figure, yeah. oh my gosh, there's so much to talk about now. I don't want to push the writer into the next thing because we've got a rich, you know, uh, tapestry to explore mm-hmm. here. Well, I think I love that. And, and so um, interviewers take note. This is really truly a, a sentence that no one does want to answer. It's true. <laughs> Good to know. The instinct on that was right. Um, yeah. So I, I've been, I was also thinking about how 
ghosts appear in literature. And I wondered if you'd given any thought to this. You know, Tookie, uh, I think, recommends Lincoln and the Bardo for what she calls mm-hmm. ghost managing. Mm-hmm. Did I remember that right? Mm-hmm. Ghost managing book lists. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A great list. Uh, you know, George Saunders' Lincoln and the Bardo is this, and I listened to it and read it, but oh, the listening. Did. Oh, have you listened to yeah. the audiobook of it? No, I did. Oh, my I gosh. Have, I will do that. I will do that. So, I mean, he is in some ways, I guess, well, he raised, that novel raised a question for me, which is whether mm-hmm. ghosts are deciding for themselves not to move on to the next realm, or are they somehow in limbo against their will? <laughs> These are the questions or, that come to mind. And yes, that great, adding to that question, are we summoning them? Yeah. Are Who is summoning them? In the book, one of Tookie's colleagues tells her that there is there are certain things not to do in um, Ojibwe tradition, so that you don't attract someone back who's on on the road to the next life. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I think this is common in so many in so many thoughts about death because that's you know this book is 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 talking about death in some ways but it's also talking about um about another world because we can't escape that there's something also reassuring about ghosts it that means that something of the spirit must live on right so there's something we we want to we want ghosts on some level not malignant ghosts but we want we want this yeah but it's interesting what you said about we have this perception that ghosts are eager to let go of that that, that they are on to something better and right. that, as you've said, whether there were summoning them or they, for whatever reason, are lingering, it is, it is a lesser kind of experience than what they ought to be on to. And, and I find that so interesting because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you think about the way we mourn someone who is gone and we mourn the loss of their presence in our circle, right? In our circle of right. love or family. You'd think that's where the ghost wants to be, returned to that circle. You would, and you would, but also you'd think not in this form where, for instance, Tookie's first thought is, yes, Flora can read, but she can't turn the page. What a what what a sentence that would be, right? You 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 feel that an inability to participate fully in life doesn't um, is it it's it's not a good thing. Except, I must say, there's some there's something that people always say. What people always say, um, 
if so-and-so was here, I think they'd really be happy about this, or they'd really be glad to see this. And somebody else always says, I'm sure they know. What do you think of that? I think it's, I wish they'd know. I wish they knew about this happy moment, you know. And I think people send out this heartfelt um, participation to the person who's who's not there because the experience feels incomplete without the other person's participation, right? It feels incomplete. And I say that about my last book, which was about my grandfather. And um, I... I think I said it many times, and my mother, my aunts, my family would always say, I think he knows. And so I was comforted by that. I've been wondering if, I don't know how to put this. I mean, just, I had a note here to ask you whether you think ghosts and angels are the same thing. Oh, no, highly distinctive. Really? No. no. Oh, why? Oh, yeah. Why? um, Because they are not um, the shadows and shades of of humans. They are an entirely different species, (laughs) right? They are of, (laughs) they are angels. They are spirits of, they are, they are uh, of the divine. And so, no, they're not. I suppose, though, isn't it that people believe somehow sometimes that humans turn into angels? I guess I hadn't really considered that. No, but um, to hear you say they are of the divine. So, I mean, I'd like to think that my dear paternal grandmother became something divine when she left this realm. And if that right. is, and, and, but, you know, her, her presence is probably, if I, if I thought I sensed it, would be more ghost-like than angelic. Mm-hmm. That's why I started thinking about this. I mean, what, do some of us get to ascend to some kind of <laughs> angelic <laughs> realm or others are, I, See, you've led me down. Well, she has. So she has because, in effect, you've placed her there. Right. But I guess I was, I was looking up at the sky actually as I as I thought about angels, and I thought, well, of course, we need this. We need this idea Uh, because I was thinking of a physical angel. I was thinking of wings and 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 uh, a, a a totally benign presence and you were thinking of her as benign and that's uh and also i have all these i have a lot of books about angels and they're ranked in all these orders and there's words for all sorts of angels you know so they've been so firmly established in in the historical imagination as um as very particularized individuals who are granted this I, I guess it's that they're they're granted like a, a kind of presence that 
can be sort of blisteringly um, blazing, but full of light, mm-hmm. right? Not right. So, um, and and I'm ignoring here all all that about the fallen angels. Okay, so so we I, I've never really associated angels with ghosts and. Mm. That happens in the book too, where there's someone who believes in spirits. Mm-hmm. But I think spirits, to me, are are um, you know the the benign the benign people intervening for us in another world across this deep divide, this river that we 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 think about as as death and they're on the other side intervening for us in some sort of way uh it's it's a thought that does give me comfort and whether it of course i pressed to say whether it's real or not i don't know what i'd say because i don't want that thought to go away (laughs) i think it's interesting you have a bunch of books about angels why uh because I'm I'm curious about angels and about how they've how people have um, I have a book called a treatise on angel magic I have I mean I just have a stack of books on them. Wow. What is uh, what's angel? Magic? Well, I'm Catholic. I'm an, ah. I'm a lapsed Catholic. I you know I have to I I have books on the saints as well, <laughs> which is why I loved Lauren Groff's Matrix uh-huh. so much. Let me come back to that, if I can. I I learned a lot about, um, I guess, how booksellers, I, I have not given this, clearly I've not given this enough thought, how booksellers see and, I guess, write kind of in a way the stories of the people that, who come to the bookstore. Maybe if that, even if that person shows up, you know they're they're kind of a regular, but you only see them every few months, or the people that show up day to day. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, I learned a lot about that. And <laughs> really, how these yes, how these customers are perceived and what it means to have. I know what that means as a buyer. I've never understood ah. Louise what it means as a as a seller to be able to put in a book in the hands of somebody who you immediately see them kind of washed over with gratitude. Well, it's that the immediate isn't the thing Mm. putting the, that's, that's very, that's a really great moment when someone says, this looks like a good book. I will take it home and I will give my time to it. That's because you say so it's, it's a wonderful sensation, but what really is the best sensation is when that person comes back and says, you are right. This, this book just got to me. And so there's a customer that whose nickname is dissatisfaction. And (laughs) I think every bookstore has this customer who has read everything, read everything. And, and you work to find something, especially, you know, for, from for me, um, when this person would come in, and I'm not there all the time at all, but I this person came in 
um, regularly, and there would be times when I would be hard pressed. I mean, when you're pressed to your limit to find a good novel for someone who has read everything, <laughs> you are pressed to the very limit. <laughs> and the and then the happiness is is compounded if that person decides to go home with the book and then comes back and says, "Yeah, what do you got by this per? What what do you got by this writer? What else?" Let me, if it's not there, order it. I really am going to take this all in. It, it's, a, it's great. What is the gratification of that? I, I think it's a, I, I don't see that there's anything but um, positive gratification because it's about sharing your, your thoughts about sharing. So a th- every book contains the consciousness of the writer or part of it. And you're sharing two, you're sharing your consciousness, the writer's consciousness with a third consciousness and seeing if the other person feels something that you felt. I think this is how we want to connect all of the time. You know, we want to be able to have something in common with other human beings. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, perhaps the most positive way to do it, share a book. You know, I've read a lot of books and a lot of essays about the power of reading, right? Um, Mm. Which I really admire people that are able to put that into some kind of articulation that goes beyond just because. Um. You know, this idea of being in conversation about ideas across space and time with the writer, how your identity can be affirmed in literature. But I don't know that I've ever asked you straight out, what what is the, what for you, what is the power of reading? And has it changed, I guess, from those you know, those times when we're teens and we discover middle school, we discover reading and it's everything you know, through this mm. life as a writer and a reader. So I, I guess I just want to ask you to think about it out loud, if you would. All right. I, uh, I'll i just tell you what reading has become for me over time. It's, it did start with this, this uh, surprising... It did start... I grew up in Wapaton, North Dakota, and of course I went to a library there. Well, not of course. I was lucky enough to go to a wonderful library. Uh, and so I I know people talk about worlds opening and um, that, that being, finding some fellow feeling, some fellow voice in books. But honestly, I find the highest form of connection is to be entertained. Hmm. And that means you have to, for me, it, it, it means that you have to have a very high degree of immersion in a book. That's not easy for a writer to do because if, as Tookie says, if you can see through everything, hmm. then it's very hard to to be drawn in if you know that if, if there's uh, she and she's annoyed with but understands you know Ferrante's cliffhangers all through the Naples 
books and the, but something that was not there in the days of abandonment. And so, you know, the things that you see through, but you also kind of like, which I, I like that about those books too. Um, but you have to be entertained at higher and higher levels as a reader, if you're reading for your whole life, don't you agree yes, that you have yes. to, you have to, so the, the illusion has to be complete. And that takes someone who can, and right now I'm reading Harlem Shuffle, which uh-huh. is incredible. And I'm reading this. Colson Whitehead's new book. Uh-huh. Colson White's, Whitehead's book, which um, it, it, it's, so it, it's what, so when you're connecting with a character on the level that um, um, Whitehead's Carney um, is at a level of, I, I, I'm trying not to say this, but at, at a level of seduction, all right? <laughs> so <laughs> you are constantly being, uh, you you can't you don't want to stop to even think about anyone creating this book because you're so invested in this particular character. So that means that means some things are not so great with you as a reader, which is you're staying up late at night <laughs> and you can't sleep. You have to get up and read it. And so there's something about that that uh, uh, I used to go into. Um, sometimes I would bring my daughter when my daughter's into school late in the mornings when I walked or brought them to school and or drove them and I would I would have to fill out some sort of why were you late on a and a couple of times I just wrote literary hangover (laughs) to see if anyone was reading those those sheaves of paper you know to see if anyone would say And did anyone ever follow up? No one ever. No one ever followed up and said, um, "You may have a problem." No. <laughs> you know, um, when Tookie is is thinking about Elena Ferrante, you know, I I took that. I thought about that. Sometimes I don't care if I can see the mechanics, a little glimpse of the mechanical room mm-hmm. behind. Mm-hmm. The curtain, I guess. Right. Do you ever feel like that? I don't care. That's what I felt so. with those books. She, I, I felt the way she, the way she did because I think, oh my god, I can't believe she ended it with this cliffhanger. <laughs> but then I certainly turn to the next chapter every single time. Right. And sometimes I don't mind at all, but sometimes if the it has to be. So she had the most. Um, damaged and the most compelling characters the character has to make you page past that moment right and 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 that's when that happens and you're willing to go about anywhere her books make me deeply uncomfortable really yeah i i i and i had an experience of reading them and like it sounds like you did just Mm-hmm. finish one go on to the next but there is there are things in her novels that i want to see only sideways i mean the same way with your uh-huh. novels in some ways i mm-hmm. know i want to protect my self from the full yes. immersion yes. of what you're writing about it sounds like you you understand that 
I do. And I, I also understand that when I'm writing books, um, but I can't really protect myself thoroughly. And so I try not to go into the kind of detail that a person who is actually writing a horror book, a book of horror, or a, a detailed work of history would have to put in, right? History is, it's an abyss, and the present will be an abyss, but but we have to have some tightrope. We have to have some some bridges. You know, we have to have some, as frayed as the ropes may be, we have to cross this abyss, and we have to get to the other side. And if, if, if a book is, a book really can't afford to stop you. That's the thing about a novel. As a writer, you really don't want to stop your reader. And it's one of the reasons why um, I made a rule for myself at some point, and I, I can't say that I always know that the rule is working. I don't. But when I can't bear something or I become bored by my own work, which happens, then I take it out. Hmm. You know, this kind of brings us full circle, though, because I, I was asking you at the beginning of when we were talking about indelible sentences. And yeah, there are sentences that as a reader, I marvel at or wince at or protect myself from. Right. As a reader, I'm, you know, I'm stopped in that moment. You know what I mean? You're, you, you're stopped? Yes. I've, oh, you're I've, stopped. Right. It's taken you out of the That's book. right. I've... Uh-huh. Sometimes that's okay. As a, as a writer, like, why, <laughs> why would I want to stop, Carrie? No. <laughs> no. It's just that it will stop me, pull me back give me something to reflect on, think about. Maybe it's the moment that is like, I don't know that I can take more of this. And you're, yeah. and listening to you kind of work through that is, um, I mean, you're saying that's, I think you said, very delicate balance. It is. It is. Um, and I will say there is practically an entire other book written that was was the sentence as well. It's not a tremendously long book, but as my editor knows, I took out so much. I had to. Wow. Yeah. There were a lot of extra characters. Hmm. And and you knew, do you think you knew even as you were writing through that that it might not survive the the uh, novel, I mean, the end product it, of the novel, or well, you have to ad- you have to go on with something like this, even though you're on the wrong track. You have to keep <laughs> you have to you you know you're on a wrong trail, right? Uh, but if someone if someone you trust, and I my editor Terry Carton is a superlative editor, so I do tr- I. I, entru- I trust her advice. And if she 
says something and she doesn't have, she only can refer to it in a glancing way. And I'll just say, I know, I know. <laughs> but if, but if it's not the right advice, I, I will keep it in. But if someone confirms some deep unease with parts of the book, yeah, I, I have to get rid of it. I mean, somebody I really trust like, like Terry. Mm-hmm. Right. We're going to close our conversation with a song that Flora, the ghost, is pretty partial to. Do you remember what it is? Well, she starts singing Hurt, Johnny Cash's Hurt, to her grandson, and that doesn't work. She's partial to a lot of songs in this book. Are you going to It is Johnny's Ain't, Ain't No, no Grave? Oh, <laughs> yes. my God. I was kind of wondering <laughs> if that was the one. <laughs> I just love okay. that. Why that song, Louise? Why? Oh, it doesn't it capture what what you you the power of of um well it was Johnny's power but it's all it's in all of us like i will not be held down you know and this is what the the ghost is saying and this is when you get this force that it it causes the entire book to continue onward but somebody would have to hear this in their mind and not everybody will so i'm glad you're playing it (laughs) okay louise thank you i've loved the conversation louise erdrich's new novel is called the sentence thank you carrie it has been a pleasure there ain't no grave can hold my body down There ain't no grave can hold my body down When I hear that trumpet sound I'm gonna rise right out of the ground Ain't no grave can hold my body down Well look way down the river And what do you think I see I see a band of angels And they're coming after me Ain't no grave can hold my body down There ain't no grave can hold my body down Well, look down yonder, Gabriel Put your feet on the land and see But Gabriel, don't you blow your trumpet Till you hear from me There ain't no grave can hold my body down Ain't no grave can hold my body down 